Alright, and welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, riding dirtier than Chameleon Air, back once again on my lonesome dove to have a look at another episode of Heat vs. Thunder. This week we're taking on the August 16, 1998 episode of Heat and the August 20, 1998 episode of Thunder. On the WWF side of the fence, we're on our way to the highway to hell where Undertaker will meet Stone Cold Steve Austin in the SummerSlam main event. And over in WCW, we're heading towards a three-way War Games match, which will feature WCW taking on NWO Black and White and NWO Black and Red. He did first, so that was the one that I watched first. So if you'll follow me along, that's the one we're going to talk about first. Let's go and do it. Heat starts out, out with a bit of a recap of the Mankind, Vince McMahon, Kane, Undertaker shenanigans, the whole uh, Kane and Undertaker in cahoots, is Vince McMahon pulling the strings, where does this leave Mankind? Um, we get a little bit of a rundown of there, and we see Mankind and Kane actually winning the tag team titles, so that is a, um, this is right in the middle of one of my favourite ever periods of wrestling, I was a real big mark for the whole Undertaker and Austin versus Kane and Mankind for the tag titles with the Outlaws in around it as well. I just think that was a really, really good time for wrestling, personally. And the show starts out with more pyro on heat than you would see on a current pay-per-view, so go and figure. The commentary team is Shane McMahon and JR. Um, This is week three of Shane, and I'll get it right off the bat. I'll let you all know that this is not a particularly high point for Shane McMahon. I was one coming in much, much looking forward to hearing Shane's commentary because I just love his goofiness on the old WWF Attitude game. But so far, we've had a few swings and a few misses. And the first match of the show is Kane and Mankind defending their newly won tag team championships up against the best version of the Legion of Doom, quite clearly, Animal and Draws. I kid, I kid, okay. Draws was not very good in Legion of Doom, but hey, here we go. Mankind and Kane on the entrance as well, by the way, not really vibing. Mankind's walking a fair distance behind Kane, and it's quite clear they're not on the same page, so they're not overdoing it with them sort of fighting and bickering, which you'd probably see in this day and age, and the commentators are not really harping on about it. They're kind of letting the viewer figure it out for themselves, which is a really novel concept here in 2018, but one that I appreciated watching this show. Draws and Animal do get the jump early on in the match, um, and we spot our first great sign of this week's episode. It says, China has a Venus. So, you know, not really much subtlety, but still the play on words got me. We see Mankind come back with some um, double shots to them both. Um, We also flash to the commentary team briefly um, during the match because it was notable because the little graphic that comes up telling you who you're looking at actually said, Shane, uh, sorry, Jim Ross, Shane McMahon, with friend and of course the friend is a um young girl that shane's been bringing girls out every week so no different this week but i just thought it was quite funny that they put on there with friend back in the ring we get a slam from kane who then misses an elbow drop but hits a nice short clothesline before draws hits a clothesline of his own we get an animal slam on mankind onto a chair which was quite nasty 
Big shoulder blocks to Kane. Uh, Mankind locks in the mandible claw briefly. Draws hits a clothesline before Kane finishes it off with a tombstone for the 1-2-3. Uh, pretty dominant display all in all. Um, Mankind and Kane then leave separately. Definitely not getting along as we go into our first commercial break. After the commercial, we get a particular low point on the show. Um, Jacqueline and Mark Miro come out to call out Sable. Um, the gripe here is Jacqueline won a trophy for winning the bikini contest, which I believe was at fully loaded. Um, Sable stole the trophy and gave it to Luna. So, no, so now Miro and Jacqueline are pissed and the demanding Sable come out and return said trophy. Once Sable's music hits and she starts to come out from the back, Shane McMahon absolutely dates this show as well as puts the corny meter into full effect where he just goes swing yep remember when that was a thing if you're substantially younger than me 34 again for anyone that doesn't know you might not remember that was a thing that was really said quite quite commonly in the 90s um and it basically insinuates that you've just got an erection so good stuff shame the two girls then exchange insults, basically calling each other skanks and the like. Jacqueline challenges Sable to an arm wrestling contest, and if she wins, Sable will return her trophy. Not sure how, because she gave it to Luna, and that makes Sable a really bad friend if she has to go and ask for it back. So, you know, they're going to tackle some real moral issues on this show, perhaps. From there, we go to our next contest, which is Edge taking on Brian Christopher with Scott Taylor. Um, still very much in their too-much phase here. They haven't become too cool yet, but that is going to come down the line. Um, before the match, Brian Christopher gets a jump on Edge, who avoids it. Brian Christopher comes out with a clothesline before eating in a nice electric chair drop from Edge with a really good move there. We see Dustin Runnels walking through the crowd with a sign that says, The choice is yours. This is right around the, um, he's coming back. Um, Dustin Runnels is a preacher, but gold dust is on the horizon kind of deal. Um, if you don't remember that, there's probably a really good reason for it. It was pretty shit. Edge hits a nice back suplex before sending Brian Christopher balls first into the ring post on the outside. Brian Christopher hits a sunset flip powerbomp to the floor. So yeah, on heat we were pulling out some pretty deadly maneuvers back then. He then hits a bulldog before Edge comes back with a spine buster and a spear which he immediately follows up with a clothesline because it's not yet a big move. Uh, Brian Christopher hits a stroke but misses a top rope leg drop allowing Edge to pick up the win with the down downward spiral and the 1-2-3 heading into the next commercial break. <coughs> Our next match after the commercial break as I attempt to throw my microphone on the floor there is um, Bart Gunn taking on Vader so this is a real collector's item um, not two people I ever thought of having come across each other um, although they were in the company for plenty of the same time so I guess they must have done um, we've also got the Godfather on commentary here he's not quite his pimp and hose nationwide self just yet but he's definitely heading in that direction and he's nearly got the look down pat it's pretty much the godfather look but in black and white not quite in the neon colors as of yet and the reason why godfather's on commentary is because he'll be taking on bart gun in the brawl for all the next night on raw so yep that's still happening here the match starts with some punches from vader and a big splash for a two count um, we get another great sign in the crowd, which really, again, dates it, and it just says, Val is gay. So, you know, again, the mid, mid to late 90s, this was the way we were. Um, we get some mount punches from Vader, um, but then unloads with a big left hand to the body, so they're definitely selling that his fists are dangerous here. Then a huge vertical suplex on the Mastodon, which was really cool to see Bart Gunn get him up, and he lifted him dead straight in the air. It was brilliant. Vader with a nice clothesline and an armbar. 
before Bart Gunn hits a cactus clothesline. They both go to the outside, brawl around for a moment before the Godfather gets up and jumps Bart Gunn. They double team on him for a moment. Vader then hits a splash off the second rope as we end the segment. So the damage being done to Bart Gunn in a work sense before the real fight tomorrow night on Raw. You know, go figure. From there, we go into a video package of Owen Hart and Ken Shamrock, and we're told they will face each other on the next night's Raw. So that was a really cool little mini feud, which didn't get a lot of attention around then, but um, Owen Hart and Shamrock was definitely something worth watching, and they had quite a unique series of matches in 98 as well, if you haven't seen them. Our next match helps really up the quota of um, quasi-fake homosexuals versus vampire-slash-goths, in case you didn't get your fill with Edge versus Brian Christopher. It is Gangrel versus Scotty Too Hottie, um, who is accompanied with Brian Christopher, who ate the defeat earlier. So let's see if they can fare better this time around against the soon-to-be brood brethren. Um, and we get Gangrel with a whip to the corner to start, followed by a clothesline and a really strange roly-poly move. I'm not quite sure what the objective of it was. He then hits a backdrop and a fallaway slam. Um, Scotty comes back with an elbow and a slam of his own and then walks right into an Impaler DDT for the finish in pretty short order. Um, Gangrel picks up the pretty dominant victory here and it's not a banner night for too much. Um, Their new gimmick can't come soon enough because this whole sort of playing on the crowd stereotypes and anti-homosexual vibes is just, yeah. It dates it really poorly, but it wasn't that good back then either. I mean, it didn't get the kind of... It didn't get the kind of heat that it should, considering, you know, redneck crowds and whatnot. But it also didn't give the sort of lasting comedy gold that Billy and Chuck did, who went that route a little bit more flamboyantly and actually made it work. And that's probably um, remembered with quite a lot of fondness, even though it was really tacky and upset um, various organizations. But, you know, it is what it is. Too much was not really for me. You could say they were a little bit too much. And speaking of gimmicks that were sort of done better in different eras, we're now going to go to our next segment of Tiger Ali Singh and his servant Babu coming out to pay money to the crowd to perform menial tasks, a.k.a. Oh, sorry, not a.k.a. Allah, I should say. I'm getting my um little three-letter add-on words there a little mixed up, but it's um, just like what Ted DiBiase and Virgil did, basically, as I ramble through that um, failed attempt to speak properly. Um, and they are basically going to offer $500 for anyone to the cr- in the crowd to come in and eat a live worm. <coughs> uh, some guy who is definitely a... Um, definitely a dad in a DX shirt gets in the crowd. He looks a little bit like a... Um, a pound shop version of the 40-year-old virgin and his get up there, so it was pretty funny. He gets in and he basically eats it up, literally and figuratively. He um, He's smiling all the way, eats the worm. Tiger and Babu just drop the cash on the floor for him to pick it up to a huge pop from the crowd. So the segment didn't get any heat and the guy, you know, maybe it was a plan, maybe not, but walked out with 500 bucks and a pretty big cheer from the crowd. So there you go. From there, we go into another commercial break. When we come back from the break, it is Degeneration X taking on Southern Justice in our main event of the evening. Um, Triple H does his usual shtick, which I actually really was into back then. I've got to admit, I loved DX, especially the um, post-Shawn Michaels version, which might be sacrilege to say, because I think a lot of people consider DX um, to be that original trio, or maybe even Rick Rude, but the 98 DX was definitely my favorite version of the group. 
This is quite funny because while he's doing it, Shane McMahon actually stands on the announce table um, and sings along with it. And Triple H kind of aims a jab for it. Like this is, you know, for the millions and for Shane McMahon, which is normally like not a um, compliment to be told to suck it from Triple H. But hey, Shane's loving it, eating it up. Not literally. That's a little bit of a... Let's move right along. A huge oh fight. Are you ready? I'm ready, JR. Yeah, what up, Hunter? You're always ready. No, I said, are you ready? Oh, JR, come on, sit down again. You shall relax. Just relax. Then, for the thousands in attendance, for the millions watching at home, and for one heir apparent to the World Wrestling Federation throne, Shane McMahon. That's him, The match gets started with Dennis Knight beating on X-Park before X-Park fights back with a really nice spinning heel kick. Um, Triple H comes in and hits some chops and a high knee for a two count. Shane and JR really awkwardly shill TV shows airing later on USA. The only one I ever saw was La Femme Nikita and I didn't really like it, so it is what it is. Uh, Mark Canary beats on Triple H for a while, who comes back with a neck breaker. X-Park hits a really big spinning kick in the corner and then follows that up with a Bronco Buster. Uh, we get a Dennis Knight clothesline and a Mark Canterbury wheelbarrow into a face buster for a two. Triple H makes a save. Um, there's a big clothesline out to the floor. And then Jeff Jarrett sneaks in and low blows X-Pac for a DQ. Why he snuck in if he was going to get caught by the referee, I'm not sure, but go figure. He then attempts to cut X-Pac's hair, but Billy Gunn runs in and makes a save as we go to our final commercial of the evening. From the commercial, we come back and Undertaker heads out to the ring with that sweet 1998 theme of his, which I'll splice a little bit in for everybody to appreciate the way I do. You know, the classic Undertaker theme with the electric guitar added in. It's just absolutely his best version ever. My opinion, anyway. And he comes out, well, you see Austin watching on a monitor as Undertaker comes out. Undertaker says that he's kept Austin safe and sound on the highway to hell like he promised to do and challenged him like a man. Um, he's going to have to take the belt now, though, and this brings out Stone Cold looking pretty pissed off. As he walks down the ramp, he gets halfway and we have a little pyro explosion and Kane comes out behind him and we immediately end the show. So a little bit of a cliffhanger. This one... Not really sure how to feel about this ending. I've got to be honest, the two shows... I've not, I know we've not talked about Thunder yet, but the two shows were a definite step down from the last two episodes of each that I've watched. And this one here being a 
marked step down on the previous two and ending with the main event guys coming out and stopping right before anything could happen. I'm in two minds about it. I think it's a good cliffhanger considering Raw is only a night later, so it does give you sort of that incentive to tune in. But I think if you're going to end like that, you need to put a better quality show on beforehand to keep me entertained and make me want to come back and watch this show next week. So let me know what your thoughts are on that. Um, If you think that I'm right or wrong, it would be a really good debate to have as to whether or not you like these cliffhanger endings. But that is how it ended. That's how we're going to end here on Heat. We're going to go over and check out what WCW had to offer on their B-show and see if they up the ante any more than the WWF did. Let's do it. up with its usual video package and the commentary team of Tony Giovanni, Lee Marshall and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Um, we get a video package showing the debut in WCW of The Warrior from the previous Monday's Nitro, but it's very strange with everybody saying he's back, he's back and trying to carefully word it in a way that he's returned when he's never really been in that company before. He's returned to wrestling, but the other company is still around, so you can't really call it a return. Just my two cents, but that's the way they're treating it, which was a little odd. We go to our first matchup, which is Psychosis challenging Hoovertude for the Cruiserweight Championship, and it's the Mexicals exploding. So forget the mega powers. This was big, big business here. The future Mexicals going head-to-head with a singles title on the line. And it starts with a handshake, so there you go. Psychosis hits a really nice Mahistral cradle for a two count to start off before Hoovy comes back with a drop toe hold and rides a headlock for a while. Hoovy hits a nice drop kick before Psychosis hits a pump handle, um, oh, sorry, pump handle, sorry, locks on a full Nelson and sends his head into the turnbuckles with it, which was a really cool spot. Hoovy hits a top top rope crossbody for a two count. Psychosis with a wheelbarrow face buster, which was quite cool. Hoovy with a clothesline and a spin kick and comes off the top rope into a Rana. Psychosis, uh, sorry, Hoovy then gets crushed on the top rope and Psychosis comes off the top rope with a victory roll for a two count before we go to a commercial break. It's definitely been pretty good action so far. It's not your really, really high-flying, high-paced stuff, but there's a lot of cool spots in the match nonetheless, so it's been enjoyable so far. Psychosis hits a cool reverse suplex for a two count and then goes up, comes off the top with a leg drop, which he hits, but does not go for a pin, making himself look like an idiot. Goes and taunts and, you know, jockeys with the crowd a bit before eventually coming back for a pin, which gets him a two. Hoovy flips out of a German suplex, which is a really cool old um, WWF no mercy kind of spot, which was great. Um, and then hits his Hoovy driver for the one, two, three, picking up the victory and retaining his cruiserweight title. We get a really cool um, one-liner from Heenan that comes after an exchange between he and Tony Schiavone. Um, Tony Schiavone is basically telling him to call the replay, and Heenan's ballsing it up big time. And when Schiavone chastises him, Heenan comes out with, this is the hardest place I've ever worked, which has got a little bit of a um, little bit of tinge of truth in it, which made me giggle a little bit. If you've read Bobby Heenan's book, he and Schiavone did not get on very well at this point in time. We have a commercial break, and when we come back, Mean Gene Oakland is with Stevie Ray, who's cutting a promo on the Giant, who he will face in this evening's main event. He doesn't have Booker T's charisma, but he's not too bad. Like, I think Stevie Ray gets a bit of a bad rap. 
a lot of tag team guys, I guess, do if their other if their partner goes on to big success. But Stevie Ray was definitely serviceable here. Gene's acting like a real prick to him, which gets on my nerves. But Stevie Ray doesn't put up with his shit and shuts him down in short order. Tony, as you know, this big man next to me, Stevie Ray, is going to be facing the Giant a little bit later on now. Stevie Ray, you contend the Giant caused you to lose your brother's title. But up till that point in time, it was your title, my friend. You know, Gene, I've came out week after week after week after week defending that title. Like the true champion, I really am, and that title meant a lot to me. Wait a minute, that title probably never really belonged to you. Why don't you just you? give me that microphone and let me talk and get paid to hold it like you're supposed to do? I'm trying to tell the gospel, and the gospel is this. My brother signed that power of attorney over to Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray took the belt. He defended it week after week after week on television, slapjacking guys all over WCW. Chris Jericho, you little sissy, comes out, wants to fight me. Got no problem with that. You know why? Because I'll fight anybody. But Giant, you sneak up behind me. You overgrown sucker. Choke slam me. But that's cool. I'm not going to cry about it like a lot of other punks around here go crying to the man when something bad happened to him. You know what Stevie Ray do? In the hood, when you sneak up behind me, brother, you better watch your back because Stevie Ray is coming for you tonight. And you remember that, sucker. I'm coming for you. All right, the Giant later on tonight to meet this man, a big one here on TBS's Thunder. Oh, by the way, what? how is your brother doing? You don't need to know about how my brother's doing. You just think about this punk tonight and what Stevie Ray going to do to him. You got power of attorney? Maybe you Th could pick up a dinner tab tonight. Don't get smart. Thank you very much, Tony. Let's get back to you. We go to another recap of the Warrior appearance from Nitro. It's decent, um, his appearance and his promo. It's definitely, <clears throat> it feels big, so I've got to give it props there. It's a little long-winded. It's not the best. And we also have to completely suspend disbelief when it comes to does the Ultimate Warrior, or Warrior as he is called in WCW because of the trademark, obviously, does he possess supernatural powers? This is a debate I'd definitely like to open up because... Anyone with supernatural powers in wrestling, you'll probably know, with the exception of, you know, sort of Kane and Undertaker who shoot lightning bolts and whatnot, it typically consists of being able to make the arena go dark and then disappearing. Now, I'm going to pose a question here. If you could really disappear, do you need to make the arena go dark? This is where sort of wrestling logic forces you to believe that this is part of the magic trick, but... For me, whenever the arena goes dark, unless it's Undertaker. Undertaker, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt on, you know, lots of supernatural stuff, and maybe it's just home team bias for me, but whatever. With the Warrior, who's never been able to do this before, making the lights go out and appearing and go out and disappearing and whatnot, I can only picture the lights go out and him really awkwardly fumbling around quite quickly to get under the ring before they come back up. It's just, um, it's so awkward, so... Are you a fan of the lights go out, appear, disappear, or do you think it's super corny and it should be done away with in wrestling logic? Give me your thoughts on Twitter. This is one I definitely want to open up a can of worms with. From there, we go to our next matchup, which is Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on Barry Darso. <sighs> Let me just remind you the air date for Thunder. August 20th, 1998, and we are being given Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Barry Darso. 
Eric Bischoff, it was definitely time for a vacation because this is utter shit. Barry Darso looks like Vern Garnier at this point, so, you know, no longer the menacing demolition smash, no longer the huge Crusher Khrushchev, no longer even the comical repo man. He just looks like an old dude who's still going. This is obviously a punch kick affair, um, and this is supposed to con combat and counteract, I know they weren't going head to head, but this is basically what WCW is serving up to its fans to try and bring them back from the Attitude Era. Yeah, like I just, I couldn't even take notes during this match. This is actually what they thought was going to help them turn the tide. I don't know if you hit Bishop off, up on his podcast or not that you can, but if um, Conrad did, you'd probably get something back like, oh, you know, you know, it is a placeholder. It wasn't meant to win anything. It wasn't meant but come on, dude, you're competing. Like, you're putting on shows in the hope of attracting viewers back. Like, you might not be competing with this show, but you've got free reign of the market and you're hoping to put on a show that helps to entice people away from Raw, which is at its absolute peak of its powers, and back to Nitro. So, this is just fucking stupid. They brought along the outside. Um, Bobby Heenan comments that Darso looks like a really big, tough, mean Gene Oakland, and I pop like a mofo. That was just brilliant. Duggan hits a slam and a three-point stance into a lame-looking clothesline and then drops a knee on him, which they call Old Glory, and that's enough to pick up the three in absolutely bullshit geriatric affair. This is just awful. From there, we go to Mike Tanay, who recaps all the War Games matches year by year. It was a little long in the tooth, um, but it did give a good sense of all the monumental things that happened during the War Games, and he sort of picked out the um, the one storyline point from each match, which helped suit his agenda and obviously focused on guys they were still promoting, so it was really cleverly edited. I liked that at least. And then we have Gene with Bret Hart discussing who will be the third partner for he and Hollywood Hogan. So essentially it's going to be, excuse me, it's going to be teams of three here, Brett and Hogan with another member of Black and White, three members of the Wolfpack and three members of WCW. And they are very much hinting that the DDP is going to be recruiting Warrior for the WCW team. And they're talking about um, the winner of this match getting a title shot at Goldberg as well. So some big business at stake. Bret Hart cuts a pretty poor promo in fairness. Um, he basically says him and Hollywood will let you know when... They have to, when they when they feel like letting you know who their partner is that it's going to be a big announcement. He's got the United States title and he buries that a little bit by saying, "Oh, you know, I'm really proud to have this two time, but I didn't come here for this. I came here to be the big cheese and to win the world title." So, you know, not a ringing endorsement for a belt to say that. Yeah, it's good to have it, but it's not what I want. So, there's that. Uh, not the best, and we go to another promo, which is not the best. It's Mongo cutting a promo on Ravishing Rick Rude and Kurt Hennig. Um, yeah, he's definitely not a promo guy. He was much better on commentary. I think for Mongo's character, for what we've seen of him on commentary, he could have possibly been a reasonable level star if they kind of gave him a bit of a crazier gimmick or something a bit more in tune to go with his wild and erratic uh, the words that come out of his mouth being a bit out there, but they never did. They sort of booked him as the straight-laced tough footballer, which he was, but, you know, the words didn't match the outcome, if you if you sort of understand what I'm saying there. 
From there, we go to our next matchup, which is Brian Adams with Vincent to take on Dean Malenko. So size difference was definitely a bit of a weird one here, seeing Brian Adams take on Dean Malenko, but it is what it is. Dean can probably get a good match out of him, I would assume. Dean Malenko starts with an arm drag before getting hit with a clothesline and a really weird nerve hold from Brian Adams, who's basically hooked Dean Malenko under the armpit. So not seen that one before. He then hits a backbreaker and a leg drop for a two count. Bobby Heenan says to the other commentators, what does Vincent do? And Tony Schiavone replies, nothing. <laughs> that just popped the shit out of me. Uh, we get a press slam into a gut buster from Brian Adams, which was quite cool. Dean reverses a face lock into a DDT. Um, and then Kurt Henning comes out and attacks him with the ref distracted. This allows Brian Adams to then hit him with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for a three count and pick up a fairly routine victory, which didn't do a lot for Dean Malenko. From there, we go to a recap from Nitro, which is Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell. I'll splice a little bit of this in here for you. With the worst actor of all time playing a doctor who's basically saying he's too hurt to compete against Rick, and Scott has bandages down one entire side of his body, which is quite amusing. The impending match with Rick Steiner coming up at Fall Brawl. Here's what happened Monday. You know what? As I look out in this crowd... I see a lot of sad faces because you can see that Big Papa Pump is hurt. But also, when I look out in that crowd, I see a bunch of idiots because they don't understand why I'm taking from my elbow to my knee. Tell them why you're taped like that. I see Buff two weeks ago in an unprovoked attack. My brother hit me in the elbow and everybody knows that your elbow bone is connected to your shoulder bone, which is connected to your neck bone, which is connected to your hip bone, is why my knee hurts. <laughs> But see, you don't have to believe me. That's why I brought my doctor, Dr. Cecil Swartz. This injury is serious, isn't it? Right on. You heard it from the greatest doctor in the United States. And as good as I look, what is that? matter of fact, there's nobody that looks as good as I do. I could beat my brother with a half a body, but I will not and I cannot go against my doctor's orders. Exactly. And not only that, Scotty, I want you to show the people out here, and I want you to try real hard, okay? I want you for me and the people to hold your arm up while I let it go. Come on now, you ready? Hold it up. See what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? If you don't sit down and shut up, fat boy. Look, here's the whole point. Dr. Cecil Swartz, the greatest doctor in the United States of America. Everybody's got him trying to be ready by September 13th at Fall Brawl. Now, you know, like we know, since you're the greatest doctor in the world, that there's absolutely no way to determine whether or not Papa Pump is going to be ready September the 13th. Am I right? 
Of this year? Yeah, this year, Doc. Right on. <laughs> See? That's what I'm saying. You just Ooh. don't know about Ooh. the human body. Ooh. You Ooh. Got, you Ooh. Ooh. This match is not going to happen. Somebody's a barking. Wait a second. Wait a second. Get out of here. You know, Scotty, I'm so sick of you and your girlfriend talking trash out here. I got what I'm going back to Detroit. I'm getting ready for this match on the 13th. And if you do can show up in a neck brace, a wheelchair, a gurney, whatever you can find. Because when you show up at Fall Bra, I'm going to beat the hell out of you. Rick comes out um, and basically calls him on trying to wheel out of the match. Um, weasel out of the match, I should say. And the other note I've got here is Scott's doctor definitely appears to be high as a kite. So... I'll let you guys be the judge, but yeah, it was pretty poor and pretty awesome all at once. We get told on WCW Saturday night, which I guess if it was up to date could possibly be um, what I measure up against the heat as well, but it's not and we don't, so I don't know why I mentioned it. But we'll be seeing Jericho take on Chavo Guerrero for the TV title and Scott Hall taking on K-Dog. So a couple of decent possible matches there, definitely some, some good names in them. We then go to Praven, uh, Raven promo, where he's basically just sat moaning at all the other members of the flock um, from last WCW Saturday night. Saturn comes out and basically tries to talk them all up and get them to leave Raven, and then he challenges them for their freedom. Raven accepts on the condition that if he wins, Saturn will return to the flock. So high stakes there, and that one will be coming to us shortly. For now, though, we have a very strange sort of PlayStation-esque booked four-way match. It is Canyon versus Saturn versus Horus versus Raven. So Canyon wasn't in the ring um, with the flock at that time. I'm not sure where his affiliation lied here, to be fair. Um, Horus was a member of the flock and Saturn's the one defending them. And yeah, they're all just in a four-way match on Thunder, which is not something you would expect to see very often. Horus, of course, is going to wrestle in jeans and an entrance vest because why wouldn't you just wrestle with a vest on? He starts with a power slam for a two before being hit with some palm strikes from Saturn, some kicks and a nice spin kick before Horace comes back with a short clothesline. Canyon gets in the ring and hits a moss-covered three-handled family credanza, followed by a body slam. Canyon gets a tag and so does Raven, uh, sorry, tags Raven and tells Horace to tag out before slapping him. Uh, Canyon blind gets a blind tag and Horace trips Canyon, uh, Tanay is um, replaced at some point here. Uh, sorry, Tanay replaces Lee Marshall at some point on commentary, and I didn't actually hear them mention it, but it just seems to have happened. Horace hits an elbow for a two count. Raven hits a th- uh, sorry a trifecta of Russian leg sweeps. Saturn hits an overhead belly to belly suplex before Canyon hits a suplex. We get a top rope splash by Horace, which is only good for two. Horace hits Raven with a stop sign, and the crowd do not care at all. This is supposed to be a big sort of plot twist here. Um, is he going to lash out at it? Raven, his master? And yeah, it just didn't do anything for the crowd one bit. Kanye goes for the pin, but only gets a two. Saturn refuses to tag Raven, um, but tags Canyon. We get a T-bone suplex and a top rope splash uh, for a two count. The referee... Um, Sorry, then Saturn punches Canyon, and the referee says it's a tag. 
the action here does get a little bit quick with a lot of people coming in and out. So it was a bit of a struggle to keep up with. But we get a nice sort of reverse TKO from Saturn. Horus saves Raven. Raven DDTs Horus and picks up the one, two, three. So getting the win over one of his flock members is definitely helping drive the storyline. But the match here was a little bit of a cluster and no real heat. So not the best affair. Gene is now with the giant backstage who cuts a promo on Stevie Ray, including making fun of Stevie Ray's gap teeth, which got a little bit of a pop out of me. Gene tries once again to be a complete dickhead to the giant, who basically tells him I wouldn't do that if I were you. Um, but because he went two for two here, Gene definitely gets my dick move of the week. His WCW character was an annoying little prick. Mean Gene Oakland in the WWF was an absolute legend, but Mean Gene Oakland in WCW was a fucking prick. I don't understand why more wrestlers didn't just twat him one week in, week out. I just can't stand him. He'd hit on their girls, he'd make fun of the heels, he wasn't overly friendly to the faces, he was just an asshole. So, Mean Gene in WCW, no good for me. We go to our next matchup, which is Kurt Hennig and Ravishing, with Ravishing Rick Rude, sorry, taking on Steve Mongo McMichael. We do the entrances, but get a commercial break, which is quite unusual. Uh, Mongo rides a side headlock when we come back. Hennig hits a nice drop toe hold and a leg lock. Uh, Mongo comes back with a neck breaker and a pair of tackles to the leg, which is a really cool spot that he does, uh, before Rude gets up and hits him with a chair t- uh, behind the ref's back. And then we get a Hennig plex, but Malenko comes out and makes a save, earning a disqualification, and then Rude and Hennig double DDT him and Mongo, ending the segment looking quite strong before we go to another commercial break. We get a recap of Stevie Ray versus Y2J, where the giant costs Stevie Ray Booker T's TV title, so follow that bouncing ball, and that's what's going to lead us to our main event of the evening. The giant out with Scott Hall, taking on Stevie Ray. The giant here shows why Eric Bischoff wouldn't have been too upset about him leaving six months down the line for the WWF. He comes out to wrestle this match in fucking jeans, and... He is not looking good. He's just got jeans and an NWO shirt on. And yeah, he's tall, but he's completely out of shape at this point. So you can see he's sort of gotten a little bit too comfy a little bit too soon. So Bischoff definitely wouldn't have been making the power play. And obviously he had a lot of trouble adapting in the WWF for many years before he really hit his stride. They lock up and circle a little bit. Not a lot happens. Stevie Ray hits some punches and a nice axe kick. Hall comes in, but Stevie Ray nails him. This allows Giant to nail Stevie Ray. We get a choke slam, and then Hall jumps in and starts sort of paintbrushing and mocking Stevie Ray, which brings a disqualification when Giant could have just easily pinned him, which is absolutely stupid. And then we get Hennig, Vincent, and Brian Adams coming out, who literally just stand over Stevie Ray. And Mike Tanay asks the best question of the night. What's the point of this? There is no point to it. Just a terrible ending to a fairly lackluster show. So, um, you know, we had a cliffhanger ending on Raw, which I didn't love, but this was just a shit ending, shit match, shit main event, and made absolutely no sense. So, go figure. Let's um, move right along from this and have a look and see if we can pick ourselves a winner. Um, obviously, ending on a real sour note here. We'll see if that affects the ratings as we go. So first category we're going to look at this week is the characters and I'm going to go with a tie on this one. It's probably, I would say WWF got more of their top characters onto the show, but considering the 
big storyline, Austin, Kane, and Undertaker kind of didn't really happen. They brought them out, but then immediately ended the show. I can't really give them, you know, sort of those names towards the show. We did get an Undertaker promo, but yeah, I'm not really going to count that 100%. And WCW didn't have Hogan, Goldberg, DDP, Bischoff, and a whole host of other names, Nash, Luger, Sting. So they definitely didn't put all their characters on the show. So I'm going to go with a tie here. Um, I'm sorry, but if you're having both of Too Much versus Edge and Gangrel on the show and LOD 2000 minus Hawker getting a title shot, you didn't put all your best characters on the show either. Um, no Rock, no Outlaws, for example. Which takes us to our next category, which is production values. I'm going to go with the WWF on this one. I know I normally do, but I, you know, the only real blemish from either show was WCW bringing people out for a match and going to a commercial before they locked up. So I didn't love that. And that's the only sort of black mark on either company. So that's going to be enough to earn WWF the win. Storylines is the next one. And I probably will go with WCW for this one because they um they definitely advanced a few storylines, including some I didn't really know about. So, you know, Malenko and the NWO, they showed a video package of all the war games and explained what was going on there. Um, Stevie Ray and Big Show, or Giant, sorry, wasn't great, but it definitely had storyline advancement. So there was a fair bit of that going on. WWF really only looked to advance one storyline, and that was the whole main event scene, which is the big one, but everything else was filler with no storyline implications at all. So, oh, sorry, I should I tell a lie. Jeff Jarrett next park probably got a bump forward as well, but not much of anything. From there, we go to crowd heat, and it's definitely the WWF this week because the WCW crowd didn't react to hardly anything that happened. And when you give them Jim Duggan versus Barry Darso and another NWO standover, what can you expect? So the WWF crowd was much hotter, and you've got to imagine that with whatever happened when that show went off the air definitely left the crowd in the arena going home happy. Which takes us to our last category, which, as usual, is match quality. This week, I'm going to give it to WCW. That Cruiserweight match alone was pretty much better than anything on either show. Um, the WWF had one semi-decent match, Southern Justice up, like, up against DX, but nothing else really made a difference, and the Cruiserweights at least pulled some decent moves out. There was nothing else really to write home about on either show, including some really awful wrestling, um, Duggan and Darso, as I've mentioned previously. So that sort of ends us on a tie, which feels about right, because after watching these shows, it's the first time I've got I've not really enjoyed being back on this sort of timeline. This is something I did as a side project just to buy me time for when I'm sort of trying to tie up shows with people and I don't want to be doing nothing and not delivering content. So the first two episodes I did were gangbusters, really good, really enjoyable. I loved it. This one, not so much. And definitely they both took a sharp downturn. So it is what it is. I will continue on and hopefully we'll get some, um, some lift back up and some star power and some big moments coming up in the next time we do this. But for now, that will do it. Thank you all for listening, as always. Um, please do check us out on Twitter and Facebook and um, SoundCloud and iTunes even and all the, the usual places. Um, it's Father's Day over here in Australia, so everyone's in bed in my household, and this is a late-night recording. So if um, I'm a little bit quieter than usual or the sound doesn't come through quite the same, that is why. But it's been a highly enjoyable Father's Day, and I thought I would finish it up off chatting some wrestling. 
Um, as always, if you could leave us a review on iTunes, that's very much appreciated. Otherwise, get in touch with any comments or feedback on the show, and I will talk to you all again very, very soon. You have the right to remain silent! Let me shut up! They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling and trying to kiss me right and dirty. 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 My music's so loud, I'm swinging. They hoping that they gon' kiss me right and dirty. Trying to kiss me right and dirty. Trying to kiss me right and dirty. See me lean, I'm tense so it ain't easy to be seen. Police see me ride by, they can see the gleam. I shine on the deck in the TV screen. Ride with a new chick, she like cola. Next to the PlayStation controller. If a full trip, then I'm gon' show ya. Send a jacker into a coma. Girl, you ain't on crazy like crazy bone. Tryna make your money, tryna have no babies. Ride clean as well, so I pull in ladies. Laws on patrol, and you know they hate me. Music turned all the way up into the maximum. I got speakers, some boys try to jack for some, but we packing something that will be half of them. We'll have a player locked up in the maximum. Security sale, I'm gripping old. Music loud, and I'm tipping slow. T steady twist. Then I hit this small Police pull it right behind While we sitting low The windows down Gotta stop pollution City change boys Like who is that producing That's the plan skills When we out and cruising Got warrants in every city Except Houston But I still ain't losing They see me rolling They hating Patrolling And trying to catch me Riding dirty 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 My music's so loud I'm swinging They hoping That they gon' catch me Riding Sippin' on the hit and singin' the gin again, the sin again, we in the wind, doin' a hundred while I puff on the I roll another one up, we livin' like wing pull up. I got a puff in my right hand, put the else in my left, freezing my uh. rollin' up the tree, green leaves and all coming pretty deep, me and my dog Joe, like I didn't get the back streets, one about a six pounds and I got hit. Shouts to the block, we creak, creak, pop, pop, whole cops don't see me on a low key. With no regard for the law, we dodge them like them all. But I won't get caught up and brought up on charges for none of y'all. Keep a thin car in a public spot, well, if you want, they poppin' dog. Ready or not, we bust off in the air, crazy bone and chameleon here. They see me rolling, they hating, patrolling, they tryna catch me riding dirty, tryna catch me riding dirty, tryna catch me riding dirty. Go turn on my blanket light and then I swing it slow. And they upset for show. Sure. They think they know that they catching me with plenty of the drinking. So they get behind me, trying to check my tags. Look at my rear view when they smiling. Thinking they'll catch me in the wrong and keep trying. They denying that it's racial profiling. Houston, Texas, you can check my tags. Pull me over, try to check my slab. Glove compartment, gotta get my cash. Cause the crooked cops try to come up fast. And being the baller that I am, I talk to them, giving it I'm but I'm not feeling my attitude. When they realize I ain't even riding dirty. Bet you'll be leaving with it even madder mood. I'ma laugh at you and then I have to cruise. Jamming number two on some old DJ screw. You can't arrest me. Plus you can't sue This is a message to the law Tell them we ain't I can't be tough So tell them that they should've known Tipping down I'm sitting crooked on my chrome Booking my phone Finding a chick that is alone Like they couldn't stop me I'm about to pull up at your home They see me rolling They hating Patrolling And trying to catch me riding dirty Trying to catch me riding dirty Trying to catch me riding